Many speak woefully about how we were failed to be taught specific and consequential things in school. The denudation of civics in this generation has become painfully apparent. The dearth of understanding in what America is and how it's supposed to function, both foundationally and functionally, is nothing short of ignominious. Welcome to Wrench Life. Today we're going to talk about America. We're going to do one or two or maybe three short episodes and I'm going to attempt to calm your nerves while addressing where many commonly err in regards to the function of America's foundational structure. I will attempt to address first what America is, then outline how it's supposed to function. In this first episode, uh, we're going to talk about Confederation versus Federation, touch a little bit on centralized federal power, touch a little bit on state versus federal power. The second episode, and perhaps third, we're going to talk about the, the three branches of government and what they're intended to do. Coming off script here, I, I feel like, no, I don't feel like, I know based on what I see, based on the meme culture out there, that people just, they just don't get it. That they are just, they're, well, they're being gaslit. They're being gaslit by the memes, the meme warfare, the, the, the news and everything. And, and people are just, they don't know what to be mad about until they're told what to be mad about. And then they're so mad about it. And some of it is just so frustrating for me because it's, because if you understood the way things function or the way they're supposed to function, these things wouldn't make people so mad. And often the people who are the loudest know the, the least, not all of them, but some of them. And then the other people that are very loud, they, they really, they're on the Dunning-Kruger curve. Like they think they know so much and they're just, I don't know. I'm not trying to hear to insult anyone. Like I said, I'm trying to calm your nerves. So we're just going to talk a little bit here because I think when you, when you understand how it's supposed to function, you could at least aim your frustrations in, in, a, in a way that may lead to maybe some actual progress, not just being mad. You know, you're just kind of, you're just like fists up at the sky, mad at nothing, right? So let's take a step back. We'll go to the first thing and we're going to talk about what America is, aside from amazing. <laughs> and we're going to start by breaking down the difference between confederation and federation. And you're saying, oh, confederation, civil war. Where are we going with this? Okay. Follow me here. The root war word in federation or confederation is federal. Federation. What is federal? Federal is federal government. It, the definition is this is from Merriam-Webster, if we could still trust them, is having or relating to a system of government in which several states form a unity but remain independent in internal affairs. A confederation means more or less that it's voluntary 
as to the federal government's control over these territories or states or whatever it is to be part of the union. So in a, a, a federation, it's mandatory. In a confederation, it is not mandatory and generally looser. So to contextualize that in American history, you know, the, the confederate states in the United States after they seceded for the Civil War were, were looser to where the federal government it's required to be in thus the civil war hey you can't leave okay that's a, a gross simplification but that's the general idea moving on to the next piece of this the the declaration of independence was signed in 1776 the Revolu revolutionary war was fought until 1783 the constitution wasn't ratified fully until 1788 Although I think maybe a state or two held out, whatever. But during this time, you know, from the war ends in 83, 88, four, five, six, seven, eight. So for five years, the United States doesn't have a, a structure. It doesn't have uh, a ratified constitution. During this time, there was a debate. And the debate was about what America would B. During this time, Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay wrote 85 essays that were, quote, to the people of the state of New York. These essays were published in the New York Packet and the Independent Journal, which was then reprinted in many papers around. The Federalist Papers were lobbying for a strong federal government within the constraints of limited power outlined in the Constitution. The key thing to point out here is that their version of a strong federal government was far, 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 far smaller and more limited than what it is now. So the people arguing for a strong federal government wanted a, and this was like, this is the big contentious debate. There also was the anti-federalist papers and the Federalist Papers, and they're both arguing over how this country should be structured. And the people arguing for how strong the, the central, centralized federal government should be were arguing for something that is grossly smaller than what we have now. Just to, and so this is, this is for me to give you perspective that the people arguing for big government wanted something still far smaller than what we have now. So that, that's a big, a big piece of context there. Federalist Papers, I've, I've read them, and they are they're difficult to absorb because of the old-timey, highfalutin language, but I think it'd be worthy or worthwhile, just for context during this, to pull this up and listen to a little bit of one, just to get an idea of the type of language they're using. If you want to get into the Federalist Papers, I think it would be great to read it, to kind of get familiar with, with how eloquently these people spoke. But maybe reading synopsises of them may be more effective. But let's listen to a little bit of Federalist Paper number one here. This, this idea will add the inducements of philanthropy to those of patriotism to heighten the solicitude which all considerate and good men must feel for the event. Happy will it be if our choice should be directed by a judicious estimate of our true interests, 
unperplexed and unbiased by considerations not connected with the public good. But this is a thing more ardently to be wished than seriously to be expected. The plan offered to our deliberations affects too many particular interests, innovates upon too many local institutions, not to involve in its discussion a variety of objects foreign to its merits, and of views, passions, and prejudices literal favorable to the discovery of truth. Okay, so it's just so dense. Every sentence can be taken out and analyzed for what it's worth. It, it, it's just, it's good stuff. But I recommend, again, I recommend looking into the Federalist Papers and reading them because it's just, it's just epic. The, the, this battle, battle's a strong word, this argument over what America was supposed to be, that is a strong battle. And it, and it, it had implications to, that, that run all the way through till today, to this very day. So, so the arguments were, if the states were more individual, they could be pitted against each other. Okay. So, for example, what they argue in the Federalist Papers is that, say, France comes in and they want to negotiate cotton trade with South Carolina. They could then pit South Carolina against North Carolina or Georgia in, in, uh, in, in, in I guess, what could be a trade war versus having a federal government which would deal with trade internationally. Uh, similarly, if, say, the French wanted to invade from Florida into Georgia, Georgia's standing army would not have anything near the strength required to compete against something like France's army to where if all the states were part of a you know a union a country the United States of America they could collectively have an army a standing army that could compete so there's a lot of reasons that they argued to have that sort of strength if you put that into into modern terms it sounds so foreign the idea of like because we, we only think of America as America. The basic idea here is that America is supposed to be a union of states, each of which is more or less its own country. Back then, Americans were just as loyal to their respective states as they were to their country, if not more so. And I have some examples of this. General Robert E. Lee, one of the greatest generals in American history, and you could argue, well, Dave, he fought for the South. Listen to this quote. It's from Robert E. Lee. If Virginia stands by the old Union, so will I. But if she secedes, though I do not believe in secession as a constitutional right, nor that there is sufficient cause for revolution, then I will follow my native state with my sword, and if need be, with my life. I'm going to read that again without the middle part. If Virginia stands by the old Union, so will I. But if she secedes, then I will follow my native state with my sword, and if need be, 
with my life. He says, I don't think we have the right to secede. So he's putting the Constitution very high in this context. Uh, and he says, I don't think there's sufficient cause for revolution, which is a contentious statement. That would need more context to argue what side he thinks uh, is not having the right amount of cause. But he says, if Virginia leaves, so will I. That's a pretty bold statement. He sees himself as a Virginian over an American. Do you think of anyone that would think that they're a New Yorker over an American? It's crazy. Lee is one of the greatest American generals, and he decides his side of the Civil War based on where Virginia stands. What does that even mean? Public opinion of his fellow Virginians? Wild. Let's move on to another famous Virginian, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson's self-authored gravestone reads this. The author of the Declaration of American Independence, of the Statute of Virginia for Religious Freedoms, and the father of the University of Virginia. Now you may recall, Jefferson was president twice. He didn't put that on his gravestone. But Virginia was on there twice. So here's another person. The person that freaking wrote the Declaration of Independence mentioning Virginia twice and America once. So we have to put this mindset in context when we speak about what America is. It is a bunch of little countries in, that's protected with a federal government to do things like trade and immigration and war and defense, etc. If you really care about these things, you should read the Federalist Papers and learn more about it. Lastly, for this episode, I'm going to give you a brief cost and benefit analysis on what America is supposed to be. And take this for what it is. I don't have a degree in anything. I didn't graduate college. I am just a man that knows how to feel. And I've read some books. So the things I've outlined in no particular order of the main benefits of what America is, is one, the ability to travel and resettle anywhere on over half of the continent of North America freely with no restriction or burdens between state lines. In other, in other words, you have the personal freedom to vote with your feet. You can get up and leave. To contextualize this, the second benefit I've wrote is trial and error. The states may legislate how they want, although it has to be roughly within federal law. 
And I say roughly because sometimes it's slightly in, sometimes it's slightly out. There's always a push and pull. This allows the entire union of states to see what works and what doesn't work. For example, if you look at COVID, there was a very much a federal top-down, this is what you do, and, and you know, if you don't do this, you're a bad person, and you could just see how the media just lit up Florida, and they just gaslighted the crap out of you about, Florida's so bad, they're doing so bad, they're doing so bad, whatever. Not here to get into those that information. All I'm here to say is, imagine the federal government said, hey, here's some uh, guidelines we suggest, and the states who handle it as you choose to do so. Then you had 50 states doing things that are slightly different. Some states are going to do better. Some states are going to do worse. But all the states are going to learn what the other states do. So maybe in the beginning, some states uh, have a higher death rate, but some states have a lower death rate. And the ones that have the higher death rate can, can learn. So that's 50 versions of trial and error, more or less, versus one top-down rule, right? So when I go back to the benefit one, voting with your feet, you have the freedom to just move to any state at any time while these states are trying different things. And right now in the, um, let's use their terminology, women's reproductive rights, diff you know, different states are now... Uh, going to do different things because the federal government said we're going to we're stepping out of this situation that's what the ruling was the federal government saying we're not going to have a say in this left or right and i don't mean that in political sense i mean they don't we're not going to have a say in it either way let the states do it because there's nothing in the constitution that mentions this so we're out so the different states are going to have different rules uh and you as an american have the benefit to go anywhere in the state. You don't like the rules of your state? Leave. And you might say, that's harsh. But that's the American dream. That's manifest destiny. That's why people come here. Because you can leave. But if you think there is no... It's not... Oh my God, how am I going to say this? It's not like a free lunch. You can't just get up and leave and expect it to be covered. There's sacrifices. So... If you're just, I mean, pack up your car and leave. It's not that bad. Everyone thinks it's a big deal. Oh, I couldn't afford to leave. I did it. If the state you think, if it's a state you're in sucks, either lobby your Congress people to do something about it or move to a state that doesn't suck. You have the freedom to do so. If you're in Germany and you don't like the laws in Germany, you can't just get up and leave and move to France. In America, you can. Transpose America over a map of Europe and look at where you have the ability to move to whenever you feel like it. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I digress. Benefit number three. All states, especially small ones, have their freedoms protected and the individuals in so. Like a Rhode Island, be a hard time to be a Rhode Island if you didn't have the protection of the federal government, uh, the benefits of their resources. Uh, benefit number four, checks and balances. The federal government will contest state laws if they are unconstitutional. The states can contest federal laws 
if their citizens find them to be overreaching or tyrannical. Basically, what this is doing is saying, hey, no state in uh, the Union can become like 1940s Germany, and the Union itself, the United States, can't become like 1940s Germany because the states are going to be like, nah. And we'll get a little more into that push and pull when we get into the second episode about the three branches of government. As far as the costs, the costs of being this type of nation, I don't think there are many costs, but this is what I wrote to try to be devil's advocate a little bit. Um, you could argue that, one, some states could be ideologically or politically captured, but you check that with the your ability to leave. I don't know if that could happen. Um, secession could be easier in America than it would be in a traditional country. Like if Texas wanted to leave the Union, it'd probably be a lot easier for them to do so than if a territory in Germany decided to secede from Germany, right? Right? I think it's probably... I guess you could argue that's a benefit or a cost, I guess. Um, the other cost, I would say, and I don't agree with this at all, but there are certainly people that would, is that this type of government structure of America would be limiting federal power and it could slow the federal government's ability to do large sweeping governmental actions but I don't know again I'm, I'm, that's a contentious thing to say because um, when Germany was taken over by Nazism and Hitler if, if they had different states that all had a lot of power you know, it's possible they could push back but the federal government, either way, is going to have more power than the state. So it's, it's, it's going to be tough. That pretty much concludes my first episode here. I don't know if this one episode really is going to have that calming effect. <laughs> but what I was really trying to outline here is the fact that don't just look at the federal government for all your answers. Like, every state is different. Every state should be different. And that's a good thing. I uh, am not crazy about New York State. I love living here. I love where I live. It's just the way it's governed, I'm not crazy about it. I would love, I would like to move to a state that is, quote, freer. But we'll see. And freedom index is measured a lot of different ways. Ease of, ease of starting a business, taxation, how many permits you need. Like, we're going to get into libertarian ideas here, but like the idea that you need a, a, a license to cut hair is insane. I believe you need a license to be a dog walker in New York State. That's also insane. And you might be thinking, why is that insane, Dave? Well, that's insane because the only reason the government makes you get a license to do anything is so that then they then have the control to take that license away from you. And... We've talked about this once on um, the episode. We talked about the quote from the Ludwig von Mises book that the only power the state has is through coercion, uh, which is sad. I think we also did an episode where we quoted the Federalist Papers about uh, choosing the lesser of two evils. But I, did, but I digress. 
So to wrap this up, what the United States is, is a union of several states which are pseudo-nations that should have more control. We've lived for a long time in an era where the states have little control and the federal government is really driving the ship. Although, for an example, you can see that when it comes to recreational and medicinal marijuana, states have paved the way. The federal government is still not on board with legal uh, marijuana, but there are states that, you know, um, Colorado, California, and uh, was it Washington really paved the way. And they did things that were illegal based on the federal government. And this is where I'm talking about the, the checks and balances and the benefits is that they did things that were illegal. And the federal government was like, eh, I, I guess. And now it's just a thing. So, so this happens. It happens all the time. The states, the federal government moves slow. It's designed to move slow. The states are designed to move a little bit quicker. And then they can kind of push the federal government uh, in line or in the direction that the people want. Because it's much easier for you to communicate with your Congress people uh, to affect change. So take a deep breath, relax. The world is not on fire. Everything's great. Not that bad. You're being gaslit by the media. It's going to be okay. So I hope this made you feel a little bit better about the state of the United States. I hope you hope you take the time to relax and live your life and not in the fear that they tell you to live in. So before I finish this episode, I want to just give you a little recap about my life because this is wrench life and I haven't talked about health stuff in a while. So I figured why not update the seven listeners we have about what I've been up to. I mentioned after this year's Meettober, I was going to transition into a more meat diet and I've adopted something that's getting close to the Paul Saladino animal-based diet. And what that means is meat, eggs, cheese. I'm still doing some Brussels sprouts, but I'm trying to mostly focus on plant foods that were designed, that were evolved to be eaten. So I've switched to butternut squash from yam because yam is a root. It didn't evolve to eat, be eaten. We didn't evolve to eat it. Fruits are evolved to be eaten. You eat the fruit, you uh, plant, well, animals would poop out the seeds, and that would be the transport and the fertilizer for the proliferation of that species. So I believe these are going to be healthier to eat. They're going to have less defense chemicals in them. So I have cut out more of the carbs, more of the sugar. Uh, I have... I've been completely clean of caffeine for months now, probably close to a year since I started weaning off caffeine. And uh, I just, just a lot of beef. 
I eat a lot of beef. Things are tough economically right now, so I'm doing a lot of ground beef and eggs. And that's kind of it. Just burgers on burgers on burgers. Now, you may ask, how do I feel? I feel awesome. I feel better than I probably ever felt. My performance is well. My endurance is great. My sleep is great. And the most interesting thing I've noticed, and this is empirically, in the last three months, my resting heart rate, which is low to begin with, has been slowly trending lower. And I am not going crazy running and cycling like I have in the past. I just don't even know. It's interesting. Also, this could be related to diet. It could be related to age. I don't know. I'm 35 now. But my, the growth of my hair, facial hair and nails, has noticeably increased in the last two months. I got the little unibrow thing sometimes, and I will tweeze it, and it is insane. It's like every week there's like six hairs sprouting out of it. It's it's coming. It's growing at, at a at a increased pace and rate. It's really unbelievable. And all, same thing with my body hair. So I mean, again, it could be age related. Although I think puberty ended ten years ago for me. Or I think it could just be a matter of being extremely well nourished. I don't know. Could be vitamin D related now. It's summertime. I'm getting a lot, a lot of sun. As you can see, I'm very tan. Don't know. So I'm eating an animal-based diet. I'm not just surviving, but I'm thriving. I'm feeling great. So that's awesome. And uh, I think you should feel awesome. So cut the fucking sugar. Cut the garbage. Stop eating things you can't pronounce. And uh, we're going to finish this episode with a food rule. Alrighty. I found the book. As always, we're going to finish the episode with a food rule from Michael Pollan's Food Rules. So let's see. I'll read this one and we'll put it in there. Rule... 17. Eat only foods that have been cooked by humans. Interesting enough, if you're going to let others cook food for you, you're much better off if they are other humans than corporations. In general, corporations cook with too much salt, fat, and sugar, as well as with preservatives, coloring, and other biological novelties. They also aim for the immortality of food products. Uh, I will mention about that one, uh, I think salt's fine. Salt, salt, and carbohydrates are both electrolytes, and the less carbohydrates you consume, the more salt you have to to retain water. Also, it's not so much about fats as it's about the quality of the fats. The industrial seed oils are really terrible, so don't do that. And sugar is just garbage, especially processed sugar. So. What he's really alluding to here in this passage is that when you have foods that are salty, sweet, and fatty, they trick all your evolutionary buttons, and it just makes your brain go, this is incredible. I want to eat all of this. But you shouldn't, because it's terrible.
So thanks for watching. This is Wrench Life with a Y. Hope you're feeling better. There's nothing as good as feeling good. So whatever it is, just later.